Good evening. Welcome to Night Time. I'm Dave Wager from the Relate 365 Leadership Team, your host for the next half hour. We're hoping that God will use this time to help you unwind from the business of this day and begin to prepare for tomorrow. Often, when we start the process of going to sleep, we can take a moment to reflect on the day and see how we responded to the various people and situations we encountered. Hopefully, you're able to live and not just endure this day. Each night as we start our time together, I want to remind you of some critical thoughts that so often get lost in the plethora of stimuli we seem immersed in. God is a God of love, and He loves you. And He has a plan, and you can be in His plan if you want to be. If you had trouble finding God today, it was because you did not truly seek Him. If for some reason you're angry, disappointed, or choosing to disobey God, you don't know Him. Once again, I'm joining you from the studios at Relate365.com on the campus of Silver Birch Ranch and the Nicolay Bible Institute. I've been reading through a book I wrote for helping people go through the Bible and read and try and understand how to just apply it to their lives. The Bible isn't just a bunch of words or stories. It's far more than a story. This particular book is published by the Grace Acres Press in Colorado Springs. Their motto is cultivating joy. And if you're going to have joy in your life, you're going to need to know what God's Word says and respond to it. And the deception is basically 21 different thoughts through the books of Jude and Second Peter. They talk about the truth that is in God's Word and then exposes false teachers that are always around us. The thought for the 14th day at the top of the page, I start with a, a thought and it says this. I will either adjust my life to the truth or the truth to my life. It's kind of a weird thing to say, but that's how we live. Second Peter 2, 1-3, the New Living Translation, says this. But there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of the truth will be slandered. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get a hold of your money. But God condemned them long ago, and their destruction will not be delayed. 
That comes from 2 Peter 2, verses 1 to 3. Today, the influence of the media grips the modern world. There's much in the media that is acceptable, yet there is much that is totally unacceptable. For one who loves God, to sit and be entertained by the very things that break his heart is not right. One of the definitive remarks concerning the identification of false teachers has to do with the cleverness of how they introduce destructive heresies. There will be those who follow these teachers and live lives of shameful immorality. The cleverest smokescreen may be the one raised by those who claim that anyone who avoids all immorality is a legalist or cannot relate to the world. How much immorality should be acceptable to us? What should the standard be for those who love God? Does it matter that the money we spend on entertainment ends up promoting causes that break the king's heart? Does it matter if we have a little immorality in our lives? How much faithfulness should a wife expect from a husband? If a man is 90% faithful, is that good enough? Can a husband watch just a little pornography? Can I cheat just 5% on my taxes? If I opened up my life to everybody for inspection, would they be able to follow everything I do to excess and love God and people more because of it? Or would some of the things I have allowed, justified, and even teach by my life be destructive to God and His purposes in their lives? The entertainment industry is based on greed. Television sponsors are continually trying to get me to buy something I do not need. And they have many ways of making me feel as if I'm constantly on the outside looking in. Is this an industry I should support in any way, shape, or form? False teachers slander absolutes and discourage people from being completely pure while doing what they must to gain people's loyalty for personal gain. This is not good and will end up being disastrous both for the leader and for those who follow such a leader. What is our ministry all about? Do we talk with and work with people in order to squeeze money out of them or because we want them to walk intimately with God? Today we often hear people talk about how God's Word can reconcile the idea of homosexuality and Christianity, and that's a lie. From the very beginning, God has made it very clear that He has done things intentionally with purpose. And He made us male and female and intended males and females to be married and to be committed to one another. 
He made it so that families would have a stability. He made it so that abortion would not be something we would even discuss because it would be a blessing from God. And we would have the stability in place to take care of those who come into this world. When you start hearing teachers compromise on the absolute truths of God's Word, you need to be very careful. They may not be teachers from God. They may be using God for their teaching in order to get a following for themselves. Sometimes you can watch politicians or somebody else that wants to win your favor talk and you can see that no matter what you believe, no matter what you think, they agree with you. In the fourth chapter of 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul tells young Timothy that teachers must reprove and rebuke and exhort with all patience. It's really not about telling people what they want to hear. In fact, later in that chapter, the Apostle Paul warns Timothy that people will go and find somebody to say things they want them to hear. And they will abandon the truth. And they will abandon the truth on the basis of a teacher that says something that they want rather than something that's true. One of the most important factors in life is that you have somebody in your life that will challenge your thinking. And that you know where to go when your thinking is challenged. That you go to God's Word, you open it up and you read it and you talk to God about what is true and you respond to that. That's what these books, the Intimate Warrior series books published by Grace Acres Press and available at Relate365.com are all about. I have no problem declaring the truth. I have problems sometimes living the truth. See, there's like a two people living inside of me, and if you go and you read Romans chapter 7, you hear... The Apostle Paul talk about that, and I encourage you to go read that. The things I want to do, I don't want to do, but I want to do what I don't want to do. And anybody who has lived life realizes that there are moments like that in life where there's a struggle on the inside. In the Old Testament, in fact, there's something called a disjunctive distinction when God says, Something like Abraham, Abraham, or Samuel, Samuel. He's not just saying their name twice. It's almost as if God is saying the old Samuel and the new Samuel, the old thinking Samuel and the new thinking Samuel. Both of you pay attention. It's not that we are perfect by any means. It's not that we think perfectly by any means. But there are absolutes, and we need to declare them what they are. God intended us to live this life in purity. 
And there's great joy when you do that. If I were to offer you some water, you would assume that the water that I offer you is pure. That after you drank it, you wouldn't get sick. Remember once, many years ago, I was looking at a label on water and why somebody reads the ingredient label on water, I'm not sure, but for some reason I was doing that. And the ingredient was water. There were no other words. The reason I wanted to see the ingredient was because the label said something, and I can't remember exactly, but something to the effect of 99.9% .9 pure. And my brain played with me when I read that, saying, that's a new definition of pure. So what's the definition of pure in your life? 95? 90%? Anything over 50% makes you pure? Would you want to drink water if I told you it was 50% pure and 50% contaminated? How about if it was 60% pure and 40% contaminated? Would you want to drink it? We act as if it's really weird that we live lives and think in terms of absolutes, but it's not. We want to know that our water is pure. And if it's not pure and we drink it, we want to know that we have systems within our body to handle the impurities so it won't kill us. And our bodies do have amazing filter systems. But you can tax those to its limit. I'm not sure of this, but I remember in school hearing that it takes your liver about four hours to sift out the alcohol that's in one single can of beer. I don't drink, so I don't know that I've experienced that, but when you think about that, if somebody drank six beers in a day, 24 hours a day, their liver is working to clean it up. It's no wonder that after years of abuse that the liver finally quits. You see, God made things a certain way, and if we want to insist on not living that way, then we have to put a percentage to it. And for some reason, we think that percentages of doing what's right means we're doing what's right. There's a way that God intended this life to be. He intended one man to marry one woman and to make a commitment for as long as the two should live. He created little boys and little girls and they're not confused as to what they are until we confused them. A little piece of the truth puzzle at the end of this chapter says, One day I will be surprised by truth or I will be confirmed by it. 
which will it be? Your Bible makes it clear that it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. And God won't lie. If we did well, we're going to hear, well done. If we didn't do well, and that's not a comparative thing, we're not going to hear that, and we're going to want to hear it. But God doesn't lie. Thought 15 in the book, Beyond the Deception, starts with a phrase that says, I am on the path toward something. It's an interesting thought, but the road I'm traveling is actually going somewhere, and I need to understand that. 2 Peter 2, verses 5 to 8 in the New Living Translation says, And God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. So God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. Later, God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and turned them into heaps of ashes. He made them an example of what will happen to ungodly people. But God also rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. That was 2 Peter 5, 2 Peter 2, 5 to 8. But God rescued Lot, a righteous man. This is the last mention of Lot in the scriptures. How could he be considered a righteous man? Is this not the man who lived in Sodom, who offered his daughters to be raped, whose wife was turned into a pillar of salt? Are we talking about the same man? Yes. It is quite reassuring that God remembers the good about a man and not necessarily all the evil we participate in. God always seems to refer to David as a man after his own heart, whereas I remember David as a man lusting after Bathsheba, a murderer, a liar. I need to take time to thank God for his selective memory. I also need to see how a man like Lot got himself into such a bad situation. I am certain that he did not wake up one morning and decide to be on the wrong side of the tracks. There must have been a process that he followed, an apparently acceptable path that led to his destruction. If you look at the story of Lot, found in Genesis chapter 13, you will see some very troubling decisions that eventually led to his undoing. First and foremost, when his and Abram's herds grew and needed to be separated, Lot chose the best land for himself and gave Abram what was left. He then went on to pitch his tent towards Sodom, 
He probably was appalled by the idea of living in such a godless city. Soon, he was living in Sodom and apparently became one of the leaders of the city. The Bible is not clear as to how he got from pitching his tent to leading the city, but it does say that he did so. I suspect that the environment he set up allowed him to view the city, to watch the fun, to be entertained by what entertained them. I imagine that he might have taken some day trips into town to check out the merchants and probably saw some real estate that was more desirable than a tent. He probably moved in and saw opportunities to lead and to help the city reform and took advantage of such a wonderful blessing, obviously from God. That is, he took advantage of these wonderful blessings until one day God had had enough. It was on that day that we saw the depths to which Lot had fallen. As Genesis 19 tells us, he would soon lose his home, lose his wife, have his daughters trick him into incest. Life was not what he had hoped for. Yet in all of this, God saw through the bad decisions to a heart that was at least at the end disgusted with the sin that was so evident. God is gracious, but just. What decisions have you made that have turned you towards Sodom? What do you need to do to change your course while there's still time? I find it interesting that most of us don't think about the road we're on and where it's going. We just want to go where it goes. And it is going somewhere. I live in Wisconsin at Silver Birch Ranch, where we have our Relate 365 studios. I teach here in the Nicolay Bible Institute. And if I wanted to get away and drive to California, I need to go west from Wisconsin. So if I got on the highway and I started to go east, and you saw me and you asked me where I was going, I would tell you I'm going to California. And if you saw the direction I was driving, you would have a valid question. How are you going to get to California going east? I might tell you that it doesn't really matter. I'll get there someday. And this highway has a tremendous amount of traffic restaurants, gas stations, entertainment venues. It's a whole lot more fun than going through Nebraska. So I'm going this way. Sorry, those of you that live in Nebraska. <laughs> no ill intended. So as I go, I'm, I'm looking to be entertained. I'm looking for the excitement, the crowd, all of these people can't be wrong in where they're traveling. The only problem is I'm not going to end up in California. When I get to New York, I can pretend it's California. 
I can pretend that I've arrived to where I wanted to go and say, boy, this California life is wonderful. A little cooler than I thought. These snowstorms is not what I expected in California, but I'm glad I went to California. Everybody in New York would be thinking I was nuts. And I guess in some respect I would be. You see, I, I didn't pay attention to the path that I was on and where it was actually going. I paid attention to how entertaining it was, how easy it was to drive, how available gas was. I paid attention to how broad the highway was and where the majority seemed to want to go. Really, I was hoping in the end it would end up in California where I was headed. But it was so opposite of where I was headed. I think there's many today who live their lives and they say that they are those who are part of God's family, yet they're on the broad highway, not the narrow one. It's the broad highway, not the narrow one, that has all the entertainment and people and fun. And It's the broad highway. There's more ministry there. There's more people there. There's, there's more opportunity to be relational there. It just happens to be headed towards destruction. And there are many lives that are on that road to destruction hoping they're on their way to success and fulfillment. Yet the idea of fulfillment, the idea of peace, keeps escaping them. They're not escaping the tragedies of life. They're running into them. But then again, so is everybody else. So running into the tragedies of life seems somewhat normal. Those who are on the right path, though, it's a narrow gate to get on and it's a narrower path to travel. There may not be as many entertainment venues and may not be as many gas stations and may not be very crowded. But they will hit the destination they were hoping to get to. At the end of each of these chapters, I talk again about a piece of the truth puzzle. And at the end of this chapter, chapter 15, I write this. The path I'm on today is leading me to some destination. If I adjust my path, I will alter my destination. It really behooves us to be people who pay attention to where the path we're on is taking us. If I want to be an Olympic athlete and I don't want to exercise and I want to eat chocolate cake all the time, I'm probably not going to get there. I'm not saying that a, an Olympic athlete would never have a piece of chocolate cake. But if me wanting to chill and relax and eat sweets and still be a world-class athlete is what I want, I, 
I can't do that. There's no way to get there from that path. If you're frustrated on where you're ending up, perhaps you need to pay more attention to the path you're on and where the path is headed and adjust that. Because to think that your destination will ultimately be the same as somebody else's who is on a different path is crazy thinking. But the path you're on is going somewhere, that's for sure. This is Dave Wager, and once again, I'd like to thank you for spending time with me. It's a program called Nighttime, coming to you from the leadership team of Relate365.com. It's really a ministry of Silver Birch Ranch and Nicolay Bible Institute. We've been able to team with Q90 Radio out of Green Bay. And the book I've been reading from is part of an intimate warrior series to help people learn how to go through God's Word and journal their thoughts, published by Grace Acres Press. You can get more information if you head over and see us on Relate365.com. Your comments, questions, and encouragements are always welcome. Thanks for taking the time to listen. Good night.